0: welcome back friends we are kicking off an exciting series of segments for the shiny developer series where i will be giving the spotlight to many of the awesome contest submissions that were part of this year's shiny contest uh for those that aren't aware i got an inside view this year because i was actually a judge for this series and frankly just that experience opened my eyes with not only the apps I was tasked to look at, but also many of the others, of some really innovative techniques, design principles, and just flat-out awesome type of applications that I think deserve a great spotlight here on the Dev Series. So we are kicking off this segment with our next guest, who submitted a very eye-popping application that has a lot of intricate UI and backend functionality. So it is my pleasure to welcome to the Shiny Developer Series, David Barkmeyer. David, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Eric, it's nice to be here. Great to have you here. Um, so I always like to kick these off with maybe hearing a little bit about your journey to R and how you discover Shiny. Yeah, sure. So
1: yeah, thanks for the introduction. So yeah, I'm David. I'm 23 years old and I started studying five years ago. And when I was in my second semester, so that was in 2017, I took part in a class where I first got into contact with R. And to be honest, in this first semester, I didn't really know how it worked and how it would be useful. But um, I wrote the exam in this class and I wrote it very good so that I got invited to work at this chair as a student assistant. And from then on, things uh, yeah got really deep and really started. Um, and so I began helping and assisting my supervisors with uh, creating new classes for our students. And in, this, in those classes, we wanted to, yeah, teach these students how to use R and especially how to use R to uh, execute data analysis tasks. And uh, a big part of this class was also to develop Shiny applications. So this class started with some lectures, and they finished with case studies, in which students groups had to develop apps. And so in order to provide them with the case studies, I also had to like learn how to work with shiny and yeah that was for me the starting point and over the last years when i worked at the share also in other projects i would say i gradually gradually improved my skills and yeah i participated in the contest last year and this year as well and i'm really looking forward to share my experience and especially the application that i brought with me today
0: excellent um, so before we dive into that um, now for me personally i learned r a very long time ago um, and we didn't have near the resources that we have now um, in this space but um, going back to your introduction to that in your class i'm always curious especially in kind of today's you know climate um, what were some of the most surprising things that you encountered when you learned R in the beginning? Most important thing I encountered was like, when you start learning R, you have
1: like these tutorials and you read the tutorials, you try out the code. And I think you can start really fast, which is something maybe different from other programming languages. Like if I go to something like Java or C++ where I have to do To like to learn all these other things around and these concepts and in R I can just start by using it for example like a calculator and then gradually improve my skills and so I think at the beginning I made some really good progress and maybe after a few months I feel like I would be very comfortable but then it actually was just the point where it really started because then I got to know like these awesome packages that are out there in the community and our ecosystem and i think that's maybe the most interesting thing about r that it's not like the language which is very difficult but to have this overview about all these yeah, packages how they interact with each other um, what kind of purpose um, they all have and in which way you can use these packages to yeah, get the most out of it
0: excellent yeah that, that resonates a lot with some of the things i encountered albeit it was hard to find a lot of the things that we take for granted today but but the the spirit of it i, I definitely identify with so yeah let's um let's dive into some fun stuff here so we're going to be talking about um the application that by coincidence i was asked to to look at and as part of the contest but also it grabbed my attention so much with your visual style of it and kind of the back end functionality you hooked with it. So why don't you tell us a little about the origins and give us a demo of your My Paintings app. All right. So
1: what you see here is uh, the My Paintings app which is a trading platform or a hypothetical trading platform for paintings and I developed this application not just for the Shiny contest, but rather for the Shopify developer intern challenge for the summer internships in 2021. And I think it was about um, last December, so December 2020, that I first read about this internship. And they asked applicants to write an application that was kind of an image repository. So the task was like very undefined and you could actually like do whatever you would like to do. And so I thought it would be very cool to have like a vast amount of images. And so I thought, where could I find these images? And I looked a little bit around and I found an online web gallery. the so-called web gallery of art, which was or which is in development for about 25 years by two Hungarian, um, let's call them Hungarian scientists, and they collect these images. and I thought this could be a really good source for my application. And I thought it would be cool to provide some functionality to this application, so not only to present these images, but also. Add something more, and therefore, I introduced uh, user management so that there are several or different users that can interact interact with this platform, and as well as the possibility for these users to collect images and trade them with each other. And um, so, maybe before we go to the app, I will just show you like this web gallery of art so that you get like an impression. So all right, so here we are at the web gallery of art. And as you can see, it's called a virtual museum because you can see um, yeah, many of the most iconic paintings from the third to the 19th century. And you have yeah, several possibilities to, to search this database. For example, if you want to look at the artists, or you can search with uh, maybe like the, the time from when the image was painted. And so I thought how it could be possible to extract these images and and luckily, they provide an XLSX, so an Excel file um, in which they have a list of all images.
0: Oh, that's um, great, because I know if you didn't have like a an like a an easy to import data source, you might be in a lot of scraping issues to deal with there. <laughs> yeah,
1: true. That's that's very correct. So we can look at this data set right now, because uh, at this Excel file right now, because even with this Excel files, there were still some challenges involved in the scraping process, because I will open it right now. Here we see like the Excel file I got from this web gallery of art. And as you can see, there are this information, like who painted, the painting, another information to the painter, how's the image called, when was it painted, and you also get this URL. And at first I thought, okay, that's very cool because if I would just take this URL and maybe then download from this URL, I would get the image. But if you followed URL, you see that it opens uh, something like an overview page. And what we really want is to see this picture with this here. And if you look here at the URL, it is a little bit yeah different, I would say, because mm-hmm. here we have like this HTML and what we need is the JPEG. And so I wrote some scripts that take the URL in Excel, read this out, and yeah, kind of um, transition or transform it to the real URL that was needed to get the image and to come back maybe to the code, to keep everything simple, I, um, yeah, added these scripts here. And if you execute these scripts, what this will do is it's going to create some new Excel files like images and painters. So it takes a catalog, extracts all the unique painters that are there and all the images we need. And afterwards, we can use the script as well to to download all of the images which are about i guess 4.5 um, gigabyte of data and yeah takes about 1 hour so that's maybe like the the process how i came up with the idea and so now let's dive into the application
0: yeah it's it's a great um great paradigm that i think a lot of us deal with or we have the We have the idea based on resources from another site, maybe another collection of things. But then being able to use R to automate the process of grabbing that content um, is sometimes a very key step when the data is just not presented to us, you know, on a silver platter, so to speak.
1: Oh, yeah, you're completely right. And what is especially, I think, very interesting is that I calculated how long it would take if you were like uh downloading all images by hand and if you would assume maybe you need like some like 10 seconds to extract these thirty thousand images you would need maybe three and a half days so (laughs) (laughs) therefore um yeah i think the time that was invested in developing the script and doing all the extra work you could say um, was well spent.
0: Absolutely. Sometimes it takes a little upfront effort to the to hook up the these automation pieces, but future you will thank you for not having to manually point and click and, and waste away <laughs> your days doing that. That's awesome.
1: Okay, so now let's get back to the application. So what we see here is the the, the start screen or the landing page and as you can see we get all the a little bit more than thirty thousand results and we can scroll down and see all these images so we have like these boxes that contain or that show the title the image and you can change in this top panel here to the info section and then you see um who is the owner so these are users that interact with the platform who painted the painting when it was created so all this information that was extracted from the from the Excel file. Okay, so and one thing that was really important for me was that I wanted to display all these images. And as you can imagine, if I would load like thirty thousand images at once, um, that would probably freeze like any browser. And so I needed some kind of other solution. And what I did was implementing something that you maybe know from all these news feed sites, um, which is called infinite scroll. So that if you scroll down, new content is loaded constantly.
0: Yeah, I'd love to know how you implemented that because I've never actually tried that in a Shiny app before where we had to maybe load a bunch of artifacts at once. So that sounds like a really great technique.
1: Yeah, I think we can definitely take a look at it maybe at a later stage of our talk. So yeah, to just scroll, you get all these new images. And maybe one important thing is that in performance does not suffer. So maybe if you would scroll down to the end and have like 30,000 images, I can imagine that the browser would not be that uh, happy with it. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think for the for the reasonable amounts that a typical user would maybe scroll down, it, it works very well. So furthermore. You have um, a second tab here on the side, the getting started tab, because you're on the landing page, you don't know how to interact with this application. And so, um, yeah, you you can find out how everything works. And for, for demonstration purposes, I created 100 random users. And you can use these users to log into the app. And for example, you look here, you have these these persons here. You see their names, and if you want like to log in with their credentials, you just go here. We can, for example, say we want to log in as Zayn Romero, and we type in his username here. And in the text here, it's written that the password of these users is always their first name, but with a lowercase starting letter. So I'm writing Cyan again. And as you see here, right at the bottom of the page, the login is successful. And as you can see, some of the things have changed. So we have now the possibility to choose between five tabs in the sidebar. We see here the amount of money this user possesses. And yeah we got some other tabs, and now I'd like to show you these tabs. So there are three tabs, collection, browse, and buy, that are all related to the display of these images. And they all serve a different purpose. We have the collection, which shows all the images a user possesses, like Zion. He has uh, 338 images that he calls his property. And so he can just scroll down, look at his images and be very happy about possessing them. And he could as well go to the Browse tab where he could uh, search through all available images, or he could go to the Buy tab and look at all images that are offered by other users. Hmm. So you see the other users, the 99 other ones, they are offering 307 images which they would like to sell. So they offered them for like this price and if Zayan is interesting, uh, interested in buying them, he just clicks on dispatch here because he thinks that's a beautiful image, a beautiful painting, and he's asked to confirm if he want to buy this picture. And if he does, everything gets updated. We now have only 306 offered images, offered images, and maybe if you if you um, looked closely to the to the available amount of money, that changed as well. And he can use his wallet to see this transaction or to confirm that this transaction has really taken place. So he looks there, and as you can see, we have here the latest transaction was uh, with regards to the sacrifice to Jupiter and yeah, at my local time, so so, uh, 5.30, and he bought this picture from Luke Mockham for this price. And if he wants to see this picture again, he can click here, this modal dialogue opens and he can again enjoy
0: this painting. Amazing, they have so many principles here that Resonate if anybody's bought anything online. These e-commerce like shopping principles you somehow implemented in this all in shiny. This is this is fascinating.
1: Yeah, it was kind of. I think you wrote it before, like an endeavor <laughs> to, to implement everything of this. And I think it's maybe in 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 this direction, maybe like the limit. So usually, if you would like to implement something like e-commerce, you would maybe go for something like a, a bigger framework or framework with another purpose so
0: yeah I hope you- that's true but it, it does give me some reminders of a recent application or let just almost say platform that uh, Jacqueline knows uh, um, from the art community had made called GGIRL where she was able to hook into like the Stripe API to actually process real purchases but But what you have here is a great starting point for like this is might what it looks like to the user, but all you have to do is really swap the back end to make something even more sophisticated than um, than what we're doing here. But this is yeah, this is a great a great way to kind of show what what the power is capable of here.
1: All right. So we looked at all the tops. I think maybe the last thing we didn't look into was like the, the the user management. So Zion can click on his on his avatar and is then able to log out so that other ones can log in again. So these are like the, um, yeah, the basic functionalities. And we can now also take a closer look at, for example, the filtering of these images because um, maybe he is searching or he's looking for a particular image and maybe he forgot the title of the image but he knows uh, which painter painted it and so he goes to the filter on top of the image display and here he can select something. So the title is unknown, therefore he, he selects, for example, the painter and he says, I would like to see a painting from Giuseppe Angeli. and. I can also specify like, on which operation to perform with a painter, so for example to say if it is exactly this painter, or if it is maybe in a range of painters, so that I now could uh, select multiple painters, but I think we are good to go with one. And if I click apply, um, the filtering is executed, and then Zion has a opportunity to see these two images or these two paintings, which were painted by Giuseppe Angeli. And so the filtering works also with multiple steps. So for example, I say that I want to have this painter and now I could specify as well to say maybe a second condition, the title. And as you can see here, only these two images these two paintings are available for selection because in the first step um, the filtering has uh, narrowed down only to those paintings by Giuseppe Angeli, and now we could make the second selection and if we apply again we will only get one result which which is this particular painting
0: that is a great ux enhancement there because it would be easy just to let the user add many filters but they all start from like the blank slate but you're able to do a stepwise fashion to be intelligent enough that that first filter isolated a certain painter and then now you're going to isolate those results more that's that's a great a great paradigm
1: yeah thanks so yeah i think it is it is very um practical or very handy for the user um and I think what you often see is maybe like that you uh, supply all kind of different filters and then it apply, which might be beneficial for the efficiency of the data access, because then you would just need to call the database once. And so I need to call it for every step. But I think, um, yeah, the trade off it was worth it to, to call the database after every step in order to provide a better experience to the user.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, great choice. <laughs>
1: All right, and so if you are, um, maybe would like to go back, you just click reset, and um yeah it will bring you back to all the images you you have. And on the right side we have some yeah like settings. We can switch, or we have a fast way to switch between the images tab and the infos tab. So if you click here on the infos tab, all images boxes or all image boxes um switch to the info tab. And we can also um choose or also determine how images are arranged so we now have four columns and we can choose between one to four and if you have maybe only one column um we can take a closer look a closer look at each image
0: that's great because there may be situations where maybe you did the filtering and now you only have a few results and you want to kind of at that first glance give it almost the full width of real estate Whereas when you're in kind of exploratory mode, you might want to see a glance, a dash-like glance at all of these at once. So that's that's a great um, visual enhancement as well. Yeah, so <laughs> Great. Yeah, there's lots of. I mean, we 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 kind of hit it on a few things that I'd like to dive into. Um, maybe we can start talking about the code behind it um, first. Um, we can talk about how you pulled off that uh, infinite scroll feature because that's really nifty that I want to start leveraging in my apps in the future.
1: For the infinite scroll feature, um, I used uh, the Shiny JS package, a package developed by D Natali, which I think is, is really cool and yeah, is maybe a, a major package and a, a huge addition to the Shiny ecosystem as it provides many functions to um, extend. The, the default functionality of Chinese, especially yes. with regards to
0: JavaScript. Yes, I use it in every app I make now. Every single <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Great. So um, and it has this particular function which is called extend chiny.js. Um, and this function allows to to write functions on the JavaScript JavaScript side. So for example this function here, chiny trigger and then to call this function in R, which is really cool. So you can pass parameters from R to this function. So, and what this function is doing, it is uh, like looking or it is, or, or we can just go straight through it. So it's uh, first defining like the, the container ID. The container is the the whole display of images. So if we think of the app like all the image boxes are in this container and then it finds within this container the last image box so and at this image box it's not take the last one but also something with a little offset so from 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 the end of all the image boxes so that the a scroll triggering, will start a little bit earlier than when we find or when we arrive at the last box. So to provide a little bit of a smoother uh, user experience. And then it is tested if this last box that got identified in the first steps is in the viewport. And when when that is the case, then we will uh, set the input value this uh, score trigger ID to a random value. So here you could actually, yeah, maybe also use something like a counting value. So starting by zero and then one and go up. But the important thing is that uh, this input value has to change every time. So it is actually not important on the R side which value it is because we just want to know that something has changed and don't need any value um and so i decided to use like the random function because it will very certainly always uh, give, up, uh, give out a new number so absolutely this is a that, technique
0: i use quite a bit as well yeah. even just in shiny itself yeah. where i might mean, do a random uniform on a reactive value and be like my server side trigger for something so this is obviously doing the, the same kind of thing from the javascript side so very nice
1: So, and whenever this line of code gets called, we can switch back to the R side, and on the R side, um, we have input $trigger, and we just wrap it inside the reactive. So, and then in this line of code, we tell our server what should happen whenever a called trigger is detected, and then the the current visible index which um, yeah is a, is a measure for how many images or image boxes are present right now is incremented so we have so we take the current value so just by reading this react value and we add the load offset so that we don't always load just one image box but maybe i guess it's Five image boxes, and then we set this part that I uh, marked here is to set the current visible index again. And this current visible index, RV's relative value, is um, then observed. And whenever this value changes, uh, new image boxes are added and filled with the, yeah respective content.
0: Yeah, that's really sophisticated. Um I'm I'm definitely gonna be looking at this even after our talk to kind of digest all the all the connections you have here. But um I could see great value of this, especially for somebody that might be making a, a gallery of visualizations of like a statistical analysis and you might have so many to choose from. Maybe in my work I do a lot of simulation results You might want to have a few of them on the screen at a time and then let them kind of continuously scroll through the different um, possibilities Um, but this is something i've been trying to get better at is incorporating javascript in the most appropriate ways um, using the tech that we have like with shiny.js or other packages to make that as less friction as possible and really just put the onus on me as a developer to to know about the techniques themselves but being able to implement it in the app should be the easy part just using the creativity on what javascript framework to use that's that's the hard part sometimes <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah you're definitely right
0: very nice very nice so i'm yeah really good stuff here and i'm um, honestly the the looking of the app itself is very clean very polished maybe you could tell us a little about your choices on the designing the look of the app
1: so yeah, thanks, Eric. So the, the user interface is, in fact, I guess, uh, really clean. Uh, clean, And it is uh, most, so the most important package maybe that I used to achieve this is uh, the BS4-package uh, developed by David Grandjean. I hope that I uh, pronounced his uh, surname correctly. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, you could say it is like the the, the thing that came after Shiny Dashboard, so Shiny Dashboard is uh, working with Bootstrap 3, as I guess, and the BS4 Dashboard, as you can imagine from the name of the package, is yeah, designed to work with Bootstrap 4. And I had some experience in working with Shiny Dashboards. I really like Dashboards because they give you, like, a, a guide to How to structure the app so that, for example, you have like the sidebar, you have these elements. So it also is a massive, massive help um, while developing because you know you can split up your maybe like your complex task of developing an application in smaller, more achievable tasks like finishing this top or thinking about what comes in this step. So, therefore, I'm a, a huge fan of dashboards in general
0: me as well and actually vs4dash i use in my biggest production app at work because of all the nice components it has inside so i recognize even as i look at this some of the components that you leverage um it just makes your development uh so much easier
1: yeah um and to be honest um when i when i started developing or developing shiny applications I first tried to to do everything myself, like hmm. to to make these boxes myself, like to think of, I need this diff for the whole box, then another diff for like maybe the title area, then for the content area and so on. Um, but if you try to do this, then it's something like, I would say, like uh, trying to reinvent the wheel, which is, yeah, I would say, usually not advised. So therefore, I think it's usually recommended to, to, to go with the things that are already there. And so in my opinion, the, the Bootstrap 4 designs they all look very modern. They have these nice colors, they have these nice paddings. Um, and so I'm really grateful for, for David Grandjean like um, yeah providing his package to to get an interface to this um yeah I would say really cool user interface library. And as you mentioned, the components are really the thing that um, makes this, this package stand out. So it's, it's very easy to use. And so you don't have to worry that much about about the user interface. So just about the structure, but
0: yeah. Yeah, excellent. And for those that are watching and want to know more about BS4-, Dash, uh, Dave has been a guest on the dev series, and we took a deep dive into the latest updates uh, a few episodes ago so check out the back catalog for that if you're interested in learning more so yeah the ui like i said it's it's amazing and the fact that it looks like i said so clean so organized it just helps that ux experience quite a bit uh, maybe we could also transition into how you tackled the user management piece because that's something i deal with every day at work is having multiple users use my application and doing things that they want to preserve or to get out of the app in some way and i need to keep track of all that so tell us a bit about how you uh, approach that from the back end side of things
1: yeah sure so maybe before we switch to the back end side i can show you like the admin view yes application let's do that because uh, i hope that i still remember credentials correctly <laughs> oh, <yeah>. remembering <laughs> passwords
0: can be tough yep <laughs> yeah
1: so but as, as you can see the admin does not possess any images but he can take a look at the database so if you are here you can see all the all the database tables so all the images all the tables that are present in the database and so what i used is an sqlite database which is probably like the the simple uh, the, most simple database you can use because it's just one file, and you don't have to worry about like um, user management for getting access to the database because you just need this file and you can you can talk to, to this database and work this, with this database very easily in R, which I will show you in a minute. So we have uh, a different tables. Most tables are related to to the to the paintings. But um, as you can imagine, we have this user management, so we need a user table. And as you can see here, we have like uh, four four fields in this table, which is the name of the user, the status of the user. So there are only two statuses like users, which we we saw before, and the admin, uh, which we're seeing right now, and their password, like the hashed password, um, which is stored in the database. And then the information who or which which user added this this um, this user. And okay, contrary to what I told you, there are also like a little bit more informations because um, we also need to know how much capital or how much money this user have. And there is this information which is uh, not used in this application, but which I took from another application because the user management. Uh, I didn't develop the user management just for this application. Um, rather, I yeah gradually it gradually evolved over multiple applications that I used. And in one application, um, we also liked to have this feature where you can see how often a user has logged in already, or how much time um, how much time was there between the last logout and the current login. So that's maybe the overview of um, this user management and what is very important as well is that you have uh, another table where you connect the users to the paintings so that you know which user um, possesses which painting and this is kind of like uh, how they call it i think like a a relation table so because that um, puts the user into relation with the images or the paintings And so if you would like here, look at the user ID 24, possesses image with the image ID 1. Now you can go to the user table. You can maybe look at the fifth page, and you see that Silvana is the user with user ID 24. And she possesses this first image with the title Venus and Adonis. Okay. so these other tables are just there to to store Um, all the painter information, all the images that are currently offered and the price for it that are currently offered, and the buy-sell table. Uh, You could actually call it transaction table, but this is a reserved word in SQLite, therefore (laughs) I uh, choose (laughs) this name. Um, This table, we can look here, um, just contains all the transactions so that you know who sold, who bought the uh, image or the painting, and for which price and when? So, um, if we now go back to the application or to the backend code. So maybe here the question to you: What do you think is more interesting? Like going in, into these files where the the helper functions I would say are like, for example, you go here and you have like this this functions that helps adding a user, or going to the code in that is more connected to the interface, like I have here, like the login. So it would be more like the, the real shiny code. So maybe start here, and then... Yeah,
0: I think we can start with what it looks like to, to call from the app, and then we go to the back, and that's usually how mm-hmm. I progress with it. So yeah, yeah, we can pick it up from there when you're ready.
1: All right, so now we are back in our studio. And what I want to show you is... yeah. Uh, how the login for example works. So we have on the user interface part this this drop down menu. If we go back to the application, it would be like if I click here, then the drop down opens. If I'm not um, already logged in, I could provide my credentials. And yeah, so let's let's jump to the server function. And as you can see here, um, we look yeah whether there's already a user locked or whether he's not locked, and if this is the case, we display the the dropdown with the the text fields for the username and the password, and the, the button to log in. Otherwise, we don't need to display this, and if we just go down there, here we have this button, which the user can click after he submitted his username and his password, and, What is done then is we observe the event that happened after the button has been clicked. And then we talk to our SQLite database. And as you can see, um, the connection to the database is stored in this variable dot values. We can maybe talk about that as well later. And we would like to find out if our database has a user with a username, the, the User pasted or user typed into the text input, and so this is the the helper function that um, yeah I created and added to another file within within the database interface. And if we look here, we go to the to the user file. We can take this function DB has username, and what this function does it takes uh it it references another function so it asks if the name is present in all the names that users have so therefore we have to look at db get user ids
0: i can tell the sorry implementing a nice best practice of you know using functional you know paradigms so that you can have intuitive ways of calling these various operations without, you know, making one function function immensely complex with so much backend processing. But to factor them out into the smaller, fit-for-purpose functions this is a principle that took me a while to learn, but it pays off with debugging and, frankly, my sanity for organizing my code.
1: It's <laughs> yeah. yeah, true, and it's it's also like the the thing that i enjoy the most about programming so every time when i'm able to reuse a function i previously wrote i'm just very happy so that i know yeah i i've already done the efforts to to define these functions and now i can i can uh, yeah profit from it excellent all right so we are here in this functions db get user ids and this function yeah, takes the, the database connection and some arguments. For example, you could say, I only want to have the user IDs of users or only from admins. In our case, um, we want to, to get all user IDs. And you could also provide some, some filtering with these image IDs. So that you say, um, I only want to to have users that processes these images, that possess these images. Um, so therefore, Um, Image IDs in our case is null, therefore we are in the second case, so a very, very simple query. We just need to select the row ID and the name from the user table where the status is appropriate. So in our case it's relevant. And then what I usually like to do is, so for example, you have just user IDs. So you expect the value that is returned by these functions to be the user IDs. But we have also the names property which we can use, and therefore I'll assign to the names of this um you know, of this returned object also the names so that I can use it as we, we saw before in the db has username function to test if there is a user that has this name. Yeah. So that's um, yeah, maybe one example of how user management works. And as you can imagine, there are many other use cases. So we can maybe just look, take a look at the at the functions that are here. We have, for example, also the function to add new users, um, which is not supported by the interface, but in theory you just could add like a yeah, maybe something like an admin panel where the admin could add new users, or if you would take it further, maybe something like a user is able to self-register at the app. And, there are a bunch of other um, functions that that extract some user information from the app, for example. You would like to get the username and you only have the user ID. So you take this function or you go the other way, ro- other way around. You have just a username and want the user ID. Um, yeah. So so that's how, how the integration to the database work. And as you can see here, I structured this according to the... To the tables I already introduced you to, so we have, for example, this transactions um, file which holds all functions that are related to the transactions here, or to the, related to the users or to the images, and yeah, I think that's maybe a very important thing that you not try to to write these these queries directly in your application code, but rather source them out to something like a directory of helper functions and that you have like these higher level access functions as I would call them, that yeah, precisely describe what is done on the database and that the how is it done is implemented here in this helper functions. Yeah,
0: that's an important point for everybody watching this is that it's, it's a higher level paradigm of your app is gonna do a lot of processing inside, right? But you don't wanna entangle business logic especially with data operations and like the overall code base and you can factor it out into functions not only is it going to be a cleaner app kind of base so to speak it's also going to give you the capability of testing out this back end stuff without necessarily even being in the app to do it you could just look at the sqlite database in a typical r session and try this stuff out so it's very helpful
1: So I think we should also take a look like to the to the introductory file or the, uh, the starting point or the entry point of the application, which is app.r. Um, I think there are several ways to do this in Shiny in general, because many of you maybe know that you could also have like the ui.r and the server.r files and even a global.r file. But I like to keep everything in, in one file to have everything as compact as possible. And as you will see in, in the starting file, there is not really much of the application logic. So the user interface is not defined here, but rather, um, yeah, it is, it is forwarded to other functions. And so it's mostly to, to set everything up. And so we have this UI server, which is a function that returns um, at the end, if you go here, as a UI and the server as well. Then it'll get called, then we have this, and then we have the Shiny app UI server. Um, I think that's not that important, but I wanted just to to note that so that you don't get confused. So it's actually like you usually would say like UI is a function and server is a function and then you can call shiny app with UI and server. And here we have a function that gets called, returns these both functions, and then um, the elements are passed to the shiny app. So but what is more interesting is actually um, yeah what is done for example in the UI function because in the UI function or because here it's like just the UI element, we just have this this outer div which wraps everything up. Then we have this container UI here, which um, yeah forwards I would say like to the, the code to, to another module, so namely the, the container module. And in this container model, the, the whole dashboard interface is created so that you have like all the definitions for the tabs, all the definitions, um, yeah, for for example, for the navbar as well. And we also have um, the enabling of uh, JS, So this has to be done on the top level. And as you can see here, also like the style definitions. Um, and if you want to include, other things like HTML or other, other scripts. So um, that's it for the UI. And so now let's move uh, to the server. And what I think is really interesting here is that I, in all my applications that I developed, like maybe for one or two years, so I came up with this environment that I dot values. And it's just, uh, a usual R environment that you maybe use in, in your daily work, and I uh, set different, or different. or I pass this environment to every module that I have, so um, if we for example look to the container user interface that has a, also a container server, which is here, and you see it gets the ID, which is required by Shiny and then it gets passed this dot values environment and every module, so we can maybe take a look later at the container function, um, gets also passed this.values environment. And this environment is uh, my I would say alternative to the to the global.r file because um, what is I think usually taught at the at the documentation from Shiny as well is that you you put everything that needs to be accessed by different modules um, in something like this this global R file, um, and that that works in the most cases. But it has a disadvantage because every values that you define there they are static, so they can't change uh, can't change during the, the runtime of the application. But uh, what we, for example, need is like. Uh, to keep track of state, for example, the user state. So therefore, we have this property of .values environment, which is a user rvs for reactive values, which is in reactive values that contains all the information of the user that is currently locked. And so the app starts with um, no locked in user. Therefore, most fields are null or empty strings and the status is not locked. And if we would take another look at the log the login file um, we previously looked at, then we would see that um, these, fil- these fields or these properties of the shiny reactive values are set whenever a user logs in. And the big advantage of this is that we we can set this, for example, in the in the login file or the login module, and then access this uh, information within each other module. Um, and maybe an important thing to keep in mind that this is not recommended for, for all values, because you could also like say that, that you have a module that returns some values to an upper module, and then the upper module uses these values, which is uh, usually recommended if you have like, yeah, I would say close dependencies between modules, but if you have something like general information that uh, is important for the whole application, like the user information, then I will use this information and store it at the top level, as you could say, and pass it to every module. And the important thing is because this is an environment, um, we actually don't have any overhead because to every module that we pass, this dot values environment, Yeah, it's just, I would say like the pointer to the environment or reference to the environment. And therefore we don't need to pass like this, this whole big structure, but just we say here you have this environment and if you want to access information, just read from this environment. And as you can see here, for example, the database is stored as well here because the database is something very general. It had nothing to do with a specific module of our application and therefore we store it here at the dot values environment
0: yeah this is an issue i've wrestled with for many years is how the pass state between modules and making sure that everything is up to date everything's kept track of i've implemented approaches similar to this with environments i've also been in some cases just being very explicit about what values are being passed back and forth sometimes at the cost of a little development complexity on my end the technique that i've heard about lately that um, i'll start playing with um, i've heard a, a few people in the community recommend the use of r6 classes to achieve a similar effect i think we're all kind of doing the same thing here but i know that's been spoken of highly but the key point is being intentional about what you're what you're tracking in this environment so that it's easy for you to potentially debug If you run into any issues or something's missing or or whatnot so it's a powerful technique i do think that has to be used kind of responsibly in a sense but you seem to be doing that pretty well here
1: yeah yeah that's that's a good point so for example one thing that um for example is is a representation of the responsibility you mentioned is like maybe to to just assign to this dot values environment at this particular file. So mm-hmm. that whenever you're working maybe together on this application, that you can just take a look at this file and then you know which properties are there in this environment. So because if you would like go in in nested modules and then assign some value there and some value there, you could maybe get something like conflicts that some some developer is assigning, for example, some quite something else to this.values.db. Um, that was actually intended on the top level. Um, and so you mentioned the R6 classes that could be passed as well as something like a general data storage. And in fact, it's just the case that R6 classes here are just like environments that are, I would say, uh, nested in a, in a smart and sophisticated way. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, I think it, it actually comes down to, to, to quite the same effect. Yep. Quite the
0: yep they're all doing similar things um i know for me personally i've been getting a lot of interesting questions both at day job and even some others about you know how do we leverage object-oriented principles more often in shiny apps so that's why my attention is on r6 but again we're all uh, like achieving a similar effect here so the key is just being clear as the developer um what you're putting into these environments or these these global things that are being passed back and forth um for you know if you have other developers to join on with you and frankly for just being intentional from a developer documentation standpoint maybe these are all principles that we wrestle with many many times in a production setting
1: yeah and so maybe uh, one thing that is also i think very very subtle But also helps a lot is like consistent naming. So maybe you see in my code that I name every like reactive value, a name is with underscore RV at the end, every reactive values with RVS, everything which is in reactive I name with underscore R. And so it really helps because um, when I started uh, developing Shiny applications and I passed like reactives from maybe one module to another module, you often had it like that you forgot got to call this reactive, because it just thought it was like a, a normal variable. So then they've done that, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so since I began to just add this the suffix to the variable name, um, I never ever, I would say, encountered this issue. So maybe just like a very, very small thing, but if you consider it, it helps a lot.
0: And it adds up after a while, believe me. Um... So, so this has been a fascinating look at kind of the components of what made my paintings. Um, before we start wrapping up here, let me ask you: um, when you look at the app as a whole, what are what's like the one major feature or um, principle that you're most proud of that, that came out of the finished product of this application?
1: I'm actually most proud of, I would say, um, how the image boxes are handled and how. The display of these boxes um, takes place because it took me quite a while to get everything correct. Like, for example, the loading thing that mm-hmm. if you scroll down, there get new image boxes, and and another thing, um, or another topic, uh, which I which I learned by developing this about which I learned by developing this application is, um, yeah, how to use or how to use properly like the server functions because. Um, the easiest approach would possibly to be to to pack every boxes in like render UI, and then say shiny you will do this for me, and you you will update everything. But then if you think like you have maybe one hundred boxes, and every time a little thing changes, all these one hundred boxes had to be uh, sent to the to the user again. Um, that makes the the application very slow, very fast. So I came up with like a another solution that involves like a, inserting the UI with, with shiny uh, colon colon insert UI, and that that really improved, I would say, the user experience with regards to the to the speed. I think it is still a little bit slow, especially if you compare it to to uh, maybe um similar um galleries that are maybe programmed in something like react or so but uh i'm i'm quite quite happy with what i achieved with this box this yes.
0: yeah I, I i use that technique a lot in my major production app of the idea of insert uis to be able to do that more efficiently it does a lot more client-side operations versus always taxing the server for those things so i think that's that's a great technique and obviously you have every every bit of the code is on your github repo for for this application and also um you had a great write-up as part of your contest submission on the r studio community so we'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes as well but obviously this this episode is one of the best deep dives we we could have for how you constructed this um so so david this has been really fascinating um to dive into this with you and again congratulations on i mean you're a student and when i was a student i couldn't make anything like this if i paid somebody a bunch of money to do it for me i was having a hard enough time with java class back in those days but um i'm I'm definitely a bit older in that sense but um well david Um, this has been absolutely fascinating to talk um through my paintings and the principles and techniques you use throughout it uh, for those that are watching and want to see more about what you're developing or get in contact with you, uh, where would be the best places to go for that? So I would recommend
1: you to to visit my GitHub. So where I, where I share all, or like most of the the work that I've done as a student, also as a student assistant. Um, it's actually not my. Uh, it, it was actually my only contribution to this year's Chinese contest. So I also, also submitted uh, three other a- applications that. I would say are also interesting if you would like to learn something for example we have like the viable tools app that um, even integrates javascript a little bit more than this application does fascinating
0: so, yeah very cool well it's been a pleasure having you on and thanks for kicking off our spotlight series on the shiny contest um, lots of nuggets here now i'm going to be even when i watch back the recording i'm going to be taking notes and see how I can apply it in my uh, apps at the day job and my personal projects. So thank you again, David, for joining me for this episode. And yeah, um, thank you, Eric, for having me here. You bet. And um, for those that are watching, we'll have links on the, the website ShinyDevSeries.com for this episode, where you can find the link to David's app, the GitHub repo, and uh, other resources that we've mentioned throughout. And stay tuned for more in this uh, Spotlight series. So that'll do it for us, and we will see you next time.